let's see. Oh, it's nine o'clock, so I can uh, I can get started. Let's Is Josh gonna make it tonight? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I think he's uh, he's working. Ah, I did clip it. Ah, let me let me see if I can make that work. Just nope, it's gonna clip. Okay. Well, the uh, the last bullet that's clipped there says uh, uh, discounts uh, for coverage with no claims up to 50%. That's what those, uh, that's what that bullet on, on the bottom of the slide is trying to tell you. So this is Dave Messina. I'm the president of FPVFC. I'll be, uh, uh, normally these town halls are uh, ably uh, uh, led by uh, by Josh Cujo and uh, Dan has uh, been on uh, uh, all, all of them and I've tried to make them uh, as well. And uh, as uh, we were just talking about, we, the format that uh, we like and uh, is, you know, is to hear from everyone on the call um, about uh, any questions or comments uh, or, or concerns. And uh, I'll, I'll try to take a breath as uh, I go through some of this. And uh, it's uh, that the topics tonight are uh, the FPVFC relationship with Skywatch. It's a joint marketing relationship. And then, as I mentioned, I want to talk about uh, some of the highlights of the June 6 uh, drone uh, and the D, uh, DAC, the Drone Advisory uh, Committee, uh, that is uh, an FAA effort. And uh, that was, uh, I was able to sit in on that as a spectator on June 6. Okay, so. Uh, the first and foremost, I know that there's uh, a fair number of questions and there have been about uh, FP, FPVFC and uh, uh, what's, what is it, uh, what's our motivation. Uh, if you're if, uh, happy to answer those questions, but we've also got what I hope is a pretty good uh, write-up both on the mission of FPVFC on the website, as well as uh, we recently posted a little bit of a description on the structure of the organization. And so just to uh, make the point that uh, we are a nonprofit, our, uh, our objective and mission is to advocate for our recreational FPV users in the United States and to advocate the FAA. In addition, uh, in, in doing that and fulfilling the requirements of being a nonprofit, uh, we're providing education uh, and uh, program uh, benefits to uh, FPVFC members. Um, so the structure of the, of the arrangement with Skywatch is that FPVFC endorses Skywatch, Skywatch endorses FPVFC, and it's it's just that simple. Now, how did uh, we we wanted to be able to um, recommend uh, insurance, and this is recreational, but they uh, Skywatch also offers commercial insurance. But what we'll be talking about here is recreational. Uh, UAV, UAS or drone insurance. Uh, Josh and I did quite a bit of research uh, and we learned that there are not many companies offering uh, recreational uh, insurance. I also learned about uh, an organization called uh, ISO or ISO, uh, not like ISO 9000, but this stands for Insurance Service Office. And this is an underwriter think tank, if you will, that provides underwriting capabilities for most of the insurance companies with the exception of the very largest insurance companies. 
this is in, this is significant because one of the things that the uh, this ISO has been recommending since 2015 is the exclusion of uh, drones or small model aircraft in homeowners insurance. And so if you're looking for liability insurance uh, for flying a drone and you say, oh, I'm covered by my homeowners, we would uh, suggest that you check your homeowners because it's unless it's you know by the largest or uh, if they are taking the advice of the ISO, uh, chances are that's recently been struck from a homeowner's uh, policies. Say, Dave, uh, could I jump in for a second? Oh, please, could, Dan. Thank could you, you um, maybe backtrack a little bit and explain why we started looking into insurance? Um, yeah, like mention how a lot of the people who are looking into the FPV Freedom Coalition what they're looking for. And a lot of people mentioned they're looking for insurance. And then we discovered some misunderstandings about the AMA and what their insurance provides. And um, yeah. one of the main as reasons always. for joining the AMA was for insurance, things like that. As always, thank, thank you, Dan. I, I've jumped in and uh, described how the, how the, uh, how the watches uh, works and I should be uh, offering how to, what time is it? So thank you. And uh, please don't hesitate to, uh, to jump in. Um, so we felt that um, one of the real benefits of the Aeromodeler Academy AMA is, and people say, well, I get insurance if I uh, fly a model airplane. And that's uh, absolutely uh, the case. And uh, traditionally, uh, and I'm, I'm an AMA member myself, I'm also an officer of a local chapter and been flying model airplanes for well, 40 plus years. So I'm a little outside the normal FPV demographic, like by two standard deviations. So um, we do know that when folks think of the AMA, they think, well, a primary benefit of that is that they provide uh, insurance for me. And one of the things, the reason I mentioned uh, the um, primary uh, insurance versus secondary is the insurance that you get from the AMA is secondary, meaning it looks to your uh, your homeowner's insurance first. And so if you have an incident at an AMA flying field and you're an AMA member and you need to make a claim, um, they would look first to your um, homeowner's insurance and then the AMA insurance would kick in after that. So uh, in, in, go ahead. Question on that is, uh... With the AMA insurance, I'm still kind of confused on whether it's only AMA field or, you know, how that process works. Is it a only AMA sanctioned events and fields or anything? Question. It is, it is more than uh, AMA sanctioned events and AMA fields. It is anywhere that you, that uh, you are uh, legally able to fly and yep. you're adhering to uh, AMA safety guidelines. Okay, so um, as long as you're under the AMA safety guidelines and you're flying legally and everything, you're covered by it, right? Uh, that is correct. Okay. Yeah. And and secondary secondary insurance and the the if you there is the one exception that's pretty hard and fast is if you're a um, a race a quad racer or you en enter any race event and there is any type of monetary prize the ama insurance is not does not cover you okay that, i did clear? not know about that whatsoever so okay that was a little 
that's a bit of a nuance. And and so, you know, and we are we are not trying to disparage uh, AMA, AMA insurance. We're working with the AMA on the work that we're uh, doing with the FAA. So this just to big organization, and we've learned this as we've done the research on uh, on recreational drone insurance. Now, so question going back to the um, monetary prize race events. A lot of races that have monetary prizes are, um, they'll have everyone show their AMA so that it's an insured event. How does, does that fall into the race director's responsibility, or how does that work? That really Is seems there... like a great question to ask someone from the AMA. Because I'm, I'm in a lot of the races that I attend are monetary prize events, and you know, every time you go, it's a... Because so there are some fields that we or some areas that we fly that, not areas, but some events that we fly at that are at locations that uh, have separate insurance that we don't need AMA insurance for, but other events require you to have the AMA insurance. But if it's a monetary prize event, then the AMA insurance doesn't uh, qualify. So who does that responsibility fall on to verify that? The AMA. Now we we went to the AMA and asked this ex, uh, this question explicitly, and that's the the answer we've we've got. But we're okay. not, you know. But but this is and so um, we also one of our uh, core team members was at uh, I think it was OI last year, um, and there was uh, one of the uh, one of the folks uh, crashed a quad, and the AMA said, "Don't bother, don't bother submitting the claim." Now that's you know secondhand, and so. Uh, the you know the explicit is you need you know you need to check with the the AMA on this, but you know that we did and that's the answer we got. Okay. And so, one of the reasons that we uh, that motivated us to uh, to go after you know uh, and track down a company that offers uh, drone insurance to recreational users uh, was this sort of thing. The what we're talking about with Skywatch is primary insurance. It's uh, liability. It is uh, also bodily injury. Uh, it can be hull insurance, or uh, meaning the uh, replacement of the drone, not uh, auxiliary equipment, but the drone itself. And uh, it is available in uh, 49 of, the, of our 50 states. Uh, New York, they're uh, working toward New York. Uh, registration and as a resident of uh, the glorious Empire State, uh, this did not surprise me at all. Uh, New York has unique—that's pretty easy for me to say—insurance um, uh, laws among many other laws that we have in New York, uh, and uh, it is the most difficult to get uh, to a license to uh, gain insurance in New York, and that's and that's coming along. Um, so other question involving the, you know, how they go together is, can you have Skywatch as the primary and AMA as the secondary? Flipping, uh, Dan, did, did that, uh, did that question clip for you as well? Uh, no, I got his question. He was asking if you could have Skywatch as your primary and AMA as your secondary. It's me. I can see my little light blinking. Dan, if you heard the question. Yes. If, uh... I heard the question. Can you hear me at all, Dave? Yes, I can. Okay. His question was if you can have Skywatch as the primary insurance with AMA as the secondary. 
yes, and that might be re uh, redundant, uh, but it's absolutely the case that you you know the uh, uh, your Skywatch is going to be the, the you know they're they're going to charge what fee they think is appropriate as the primary, and then there is very likely no need for AMA uh, insurance. Okay. Yeah. No, I just wanted to verify that because having an AMA is kind of a you know it's nice to have and it's insurance for when for those events that you have the insurance necessary yep and so it was just nice to have yes okay other questions any any comments on a um if on skywatch and uh, fpvfc let's see did you make it through all the bullet points on your slide dave i think you did I think so. I did not mention uh, medical insurance also available, but I, I hit most. I didn't. What I did not talk about is that uh, uh, the app is available uh, either on iOS or uh, Android, uh, and you can uh, procure Skywatch uh, either by the hour, the day, or monthly, and that's managed uh, uh, all through the app. Uh, some, so, if you go ahead. Go ahead. Now the questions um, are really helpful. I really so appreciate how, the question. How competitive is the pricing on Skywatch compared to, um, say, an AMA? Even though AMA is secondary, it's still something that I'm kind of curious about. How competitive is that pricing? Uh, we think it's competitive, and uh, as a startup and as a um, a pretty competitive startup, uh, if you find that it's not competitive, I'm certain they would want to hear about it. Uh, AMA does offer specific drone insurance, but it is uh, in addition to uh, our annual dues. A primary competitor of Skywatch is Verifly, V-E-R-I-F-L-Y. Um, and we do feel that uh, Skywatch is, uh, is competitive. One of the reasons we, we selected Skywatch, we wanted to recommend a product that we felt was uh, competitive in terms of value as well as uh, price. Okay, so um, dang it, I lost my question. I'll get back to that later. Okay. I also had a question, but I forgot it, so I'll probably remember it later. That's that's okay. It's just, you know, feel feel free to interrupt uh, when when it comes back, uh, and uh, and we'll figure it out. Let's see. Oh, oh I, good. I got one. Okay. So uh, with Skywatch, is there? So you had said it was by the hour, day, or month. Is there something where you can pay kind of this flat rate, kind of like with the AMA, where you just always had the insurance applicable, or is it something that you have to continue to repay? Um, I was good until you, uh, up until that last one. And so the, um, does it have a, a continuous update? I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Um, I do know that they uh, they uh, that it's monthly. I also know that the the discount that they offer, which goes up to fifty percent, is if you uh, you keep uh, they monitor the hours that you that you use it. And so if it's monthly, and if it you know you'll see in their policy how it quickly gets to fifty percent off if you have not uh, submitted a claim. Uh, so the, that's. That's another question that I had following it is, if you say had the hourly insurance, mm -hmm. does, is there, like within the app, for instance, is there something where you log when you fly, or how does it keep track of that? 
Or do you purchase it from, say, three to four on a Friday, and then that's it? Or Great question. And so you turn it on. You say, I'm going to fly now, or I'm going to fly at three o'clock. And you know, it's my, you know, I've not used it myself in as much as I'm in New York. Uh, but it's my understanding that you can either set it or you, know, you, you turn it on at, you know, for the moment. And so okay. they're, they're, they work to be flexible uh, in that regard. Yeah, because that was kind of the other thing is, you know, say you're going to regional qualifier and you just kind of want to have to set it and forget it for that two-day qualifier. Mm -hmm. Is there an option available for that so that you can do that? But that answered it pretty well. Yeah, then you can do it daily and, and yeah. That they... was my question. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, um, does Skywatch change pricing depending on the size of the vehicle? So say you have, you know, a micro quad or whatever the heck, I don't know compared to a five inch, is that relative pricing or is that a fixed pricing? It's relative pricing based on the location. And so based on the location, okay. if you get, you know, if you're in a higher risk uh, location, it'll, the price will change. And what uh, does it define as those risks? Is that, you know, more people, more houses, what? I think it's population density in as much as the company started as an analytics firm in 2016. I have a hunch that they're not going to provide a lot of uh, background on that since that's their secret sauce in order to provide competitive uh, rates. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was curious about is yep. how it, how it came up with a metric to base that off of. They started researching uh, drone crashes around the world. They thought that would be useful for their government. And they, it dawned on them that they were uh, doing actuarial work uh, for an insurance company. So they started an insurance company. Pretty, okay. pretty you know, innovative bunch. And then how is the communication for them? Are they a U.S.-based company that has a lot of communication with the customer? Or is it a, you know... They are not. They they have a U. They they only sell Skywatch in, in insurance in the United States. They are an Israeli headquartered company. Okay. Their their support is uh, superb from everything I've uh, experienced in working okay. with them. I, I've yeah, also no, had I've also had the pleasure. Question to ask. So. No, no. It's a, I've also had the pleasure of working with a bunch of uh, Israeli startups and. Uh, these folks are uh, right among you know, that same type of uh, uh, company, very bright, uh, you, know, uh, you know, on top of things. Uh, for example, I, I signed into uh, Skywatch to see what I could learn, but I'm in New York, so I couldn't get very far. Well, I got an email. It says, hey, you know, we see, we see that you, uh, you signed in. Is there something we can help you with? And so, you know, that's good. And it was a personal email as opposed to a form letter. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 uh, uh, you know, they want to, you know, they're, they're interested in making business, which is great. I mean, that's good for us. And, and as, uh, uh, they recognize the number of, uh, drones is increasing. And as I say, there are, uh, if you, you know, think of a, an insurance company and that insurance company probably offers commercial drone insurance. So if you have your 107, great, you can go get insurance. And so what we're talking about here is recreational non-107 uh, insurance, predominantly live. Yep, for hobby po hobbyists. Exactly right. And Which you found that there were very few places that were willing to very, talk to you about that, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I got a fair number of thank you, no. And then we, you know, 
and a couple of no. And uh, you know, so there really were very few. And you know, this, you know, we hope this is of some value, uh, you know, to folks uh, as FPVFC members that we did this research and you know, came across this company, and they want to work with us. And so, along with that, does like with the AMA to get their insurance, you have to fly under their guidelines and everything. Does Skywatch have something similar to that? Is it a fly under these constrictions and then you get the insurance, or? Is it under the A or the FAA rules? It's or the FAA. It's, it's the FAA uh, safety guidelines is what they okay. uh, look to right now. Yep. Okay. Good question. And it really seems like this is the sort of future direction everything is going for drone insurance, where you sign in by the hour and fly and get insurance that way. Um, at least in the commercial aspect, doesn't it, Dave? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and that is the way uh, everything we could see is that there are no, any number of companies had an, had an app. Uh, the other thing that made us uh, anxious is that we saw a number of uh, companies that provided insurance for commercial only. The assumption was you must be using a DJI device, so we expect you to log in electronically into our app. And we're like, oh, that's that won't work. And um, Skywatch, um, you know, does you know they understand that? No, if you're recreational, you know, you fly all sorts of devices, and it may or may not have the ability to uh, one under, you know, it may may or may not have a GPS, and it may or may not be able to talk to uh, a a LAN, a Wi-Fi, etc. So speaking of which, I'm looking at the Skywatch website, and it looks like it has some sort of DJI integration, something or other. Is that director might just it does and it's and if we don't have it it doesn't matter yeah just just one good yeah good question i appreciate the questions any yeah. others on this topic i assume with the dji integration it makes it simpler for you to define a time like it would maybe start the moment you take off and stop when you land and things like that automatically for you that you might have to fill out by hand otherwise so you don't like forget to turn it off also <laughs> don't know but it's a good, it's a good point it's also it, it asks you up front what do you want to pay for so you know if you said the month then you know then it's going to run but if you said you know one hour and you take off it'll you know it'll time out it's my understanding i feel like it's something that i would accidentally put in like a year instead of a second, <laughs> an hour okay yeah um that that's uh, we hope not and yeah, you know, I, I laugh because I, you know, I hear some humor in your voice as well. I mean, I, I know it's serious, uh, but you know, that's something that you know would have to, uh, uh, you know, take seriously. And you know, this is a company that, you know, if uh, if you put a date, you know, if you put 24 hours, you know, the next 24 hours solid, uh, as opposed to you know all day, uh, I, you know, I have a hunch that you know, you might hear from them because they're uh, they're pretty up on this. Other questions on this topic? Okay, next topic. I'm hoping you, most of you can see the slide that I just uh, pasted in. Yep, I can see the slide there just fine. So it'd be great if, again, you started way at the beginning and to tell us what is the DAC and everything you know about it and then jump into what you learned. Thank you, Dan, I appreciate it. Um, the FAA started in 2016 to have a drone advisory committee. This is a committee that 
uh, is comprised of uh, industry, government, uh, educational institutions, operators, uh, emergency responders, law enforcement, uh, etc. So a pretty wide breadth. There are currently 32 seats on the Drone Advisory Committee. And uh, the FAA, uh, the way that the FAA rules and regulations work is that Congress provides a mandate and a series of mandates and a and funding authorization for a set of years, normally five. And so last October was, uh, you'll hear a lot of references to the 2018 FAA reauthorization. So in that, uh, they talked about uh, community-based organizations uh, and um, the the way the Congress was emphatic on getting uh, industry and public feedback as regulations were rolled out. And so as they were rolled out in the uh, UAS or drone environment, the drone advisory committee is uh, quite important. To those of us interested in uh, who are uh, operators and in the hobbyist or recreational space, uh, there is one out of the 32 members that uh, is, uh, I would consider, representing uh, recreational uh, UAS, and that's uh, Rich Hansen, president of AMA. And so, um, in as much as uh, I would assert that the uh, the AMA uh, is uh, focused or has is has a big interest in fixed wing model aircraft as opposed to multi rotors or or drones, uh, we felt it really important to form uh, the FPVFC and uh, tried to advocate the uh, the FAA. So I was I was at uh, the this meeting, but only as a spectator. So I was not allowed to speak. I uh, was not allowed to ask a question other than uh, buttonholing uh, individuals uh, at uh, the uh, at coffee breaks. Um, Dan, does that give a, a good background on what the uh, DAC is? Uh, yeah, it sounds good to me, but I know something about them. So I'm curious for anybody else here who's never heard of the Drone Advisory Council, or is it committee? I forget. I, I think, yeah, I think it's committee. <laughs> but I'm curious to know if that sounds like a good overview to everybody else who's new to this. Yeah, so I actually had a question on that. And Great. it's, how does, is this kind of a prerequisite like meeting to kind of predetermine what's to follow or interim rules or what does this, what part does this play? It's a good question. And so some of the theory uh, appears to be that the DAC should be influencing the priority and the content of subsequent rules and regulations around uh, UAS that the FAA will work on. Okay. So that, that's the uh, that's the that's the uh, ostensibly uh, or you know the what it's about. What um, my personal opinion is, you know, sitting there and having spent four decades in global corporation, um, the my perception is that the FAA is utilizing the uh, DAC as a mechanism to gain the information that they need to be able to complete the mandate they have from Congress. 
so as an example, one of the first things on the on the docket here is uh, remote identification. Mm -hmm. The FAA feels very strongly that remote identification is the most regulation important regulation they're working on. It is a prereq to many other subsequent regulations. So they are asking the DAC to uh, provide information, to provide prototyping, ideas, technology, anything that can help the FAA uh, accelerate the schedule to get remote ID in place and to do it in such a way that it is practical and cost-effective to uh, a, a drone manufacturer as well as the consumer of the drone product. Okay. So you know, to, to me, it's like, you know, if you're active and you're uh, vocal, then you can say, all right, well, you know, I can work with that. You know, we can, you know, it's, and it is our objective to collaborate with the FAA. A, uh, an alternative view is that's terrible and we should do anything possible to thwart the, uh, the progress uh, of, uh, uh, of this effort. That's not the approach that we're taking in the FPVFC. So that's the other question that I have and that I've never found an answer to is what is, so every single, you know, um, person that abides, abides to the FAA rules and regulations is probably going to get the remote ID device, whether it be a $50 device or a $300 device. They're going to put it on their vehicle and that's going to be it. They're following the rules. But isn't the point of the remote ID to, you know, be able to identify a UIS that if it has uh, harmful intentions, be able to know where it is and know where it's going and kind of predict its movements. But if what's what is stopping someone from just not putting a remote ID device on? It just doesn't make sense to me, and I don't know if I'm missing something here. But... I don't think I don't think you're missing something. And so here here are a couple of uh, important data points. The first is. Everyone on that committee feels that autonomy is the way drones are going to be very quickly. Autonomy is going to be universal. In other words, there may not be an RF link controlling the drone. They yeah. feel that the feeling is that the only way that commercial drone and the commercial drone industry can scale is if drones are autonomous. And that they have a way, or at least from what I'm interpreting is so that they have a way to know where each other are kind of i guess they are they are very jumpy about know where each other are they are much more interested in knowing uh where where the device is in, in space so then it's a matter of okay how do we uh the faa is keenly interested in how do you make the aircraft tamper proof because they brought up during this meeting, they're very worried about spoofing, and you know, good for them because you know we all are required now to get our uh, FAA registration numbers for our recreational drones and and put it on the you know and uh, visibly on our on our aircraft. Well, if I'm a bad actor, it's pretty easy for me to spoof another number, and then I have obviated the whole uh, process. Well, and so that's what I never understood about the registration thing is. Yes, I registered my aircraft, but if a if a you know 
if a little phantom plops down on the White House lawn and it doesn't have a registration number on it, well, what good did it do then? Or if you put your friend's registration number on it. Right. Or or something you pull off of Google. That was exactly one of exactly one of my thoughts just what you said if it doesn't have it on there and it does something bad then what's it gonna how's it making a difference all it it does is puts a bad face on the entire you know drone community or whatever and you know because the thought behind goes the thought behind what you just said if i plan to go do something that i'm not supposed to do well then i'm just gonna spoof or remove said objects right yeah and and the other problem is that if this was a world populated, or if the skies were just populated with manned aircraft and you know DJI products that were honestly to the average person, you wouldn't go taking it apart. And then you know there could be something there with the whole remote ID thing. But the problem with that being is that there are some forty thousand people out there in the FPV community that build their own quads, and it's not hard to pick up the knowledge. So right. how? I'd also like what, to just what's keeping someone from just not putting a remote ID device on. In the I'd first like place. to quickly point out that yes, while the FPVFC is trying to work with the FAA, doesn't necessarily we mean we agree with their current direction, their current no, re- I, I requirements. No, I agree with that and see um, what you're saying. There. Definitely, a lot of us feel like remote ID, at least the way it's been proposed so far, is too much of a requirement. It it stops people from getting in the air, and it's. Uh, I forget what I've called it before, but yeah, it's too big of a, a hoop to jump through for a lot of us. And so we're trying to find ways with well, the FAA to to to, to, yeah, to limit another, that. That's another barrier of entry to anyone Correct. that wants to get in the air is that, you know, now you not only have to learn the how to build something, but also in a entire Bible of re- regulations behind it. And then you're just with as many gray areas as there are in the FAA's regulations, you have no idea what to believe. Right, and it would be great if they just blanket said, oh, this doesn't apply to hobbyists, or this doesn't apply to anyone flying something 250 grams or less, or something yeah, like that's that. That's something that I've always been confused about. What doesn't apply to 250 grams? I've been told that, you know, Everything certain does. things do, and yeah. The only thing that's different is putting getting a registration number and putting it on your craft. You don't have to do under 250. That's the only place they mention that limit. Yeah, just, well, and the uh, other thing is, I was on here uh, asking someone about it the other day. Is, well, okay, the before you I, the before you fly app has a lot of places registered as uh, um, no fly zones, but then there's that other no fly zone map that shows you know the big big airports and nothing else. And so it's you know what do you know to believe and what don't correct you what. Dave can maybe elaborate on this a little bit more, but from what we understand is that the No Before You Fly app is sort of being obsoleted, or they're not yeah, putting any more effort well, into it. Now I know, but and that, but as someone right. that didn't know that before, it's really confusing. This will all of a sudden see you can fly there, but you know, I, for years I believed you couldn't. Agreed, and so I live in upstate uh, New York, and. Uh, prior to May 16 of, the, of this year, the theory is that any time I wanted to fly in my uh, yard, I was supposed to call a private helicopter pad that's that I'm inside of a five-mile radius from. I'm in the same and, boat as that. It, and and it, chat with them. So that's uncontrolled airspace. Now, post May 16, 2019, 
I am between the capital of New York, Albany, and Manhattan, and I am 50 some odd miles away from the closest controlled airspace, so I no longer have to contact anyone to fly. That's what I uh, discovered on here a week ago is, well, now I can fly in my yard. Yes, that's correct. And, and I, I was and completely we, lost as to why that was, and you know. It's because of the regulations that were issued on May 16. And uh, we encourage you uh, there. We have the uh, a listing up on or if we don't, we will uh, very shortly. I know we have it there now. We're going to uh, re-swizzle it over the next couple of days in terms of what do you need to bring to the field? What do you need to adhere to? And so on May 16, the FAA uh, listed out uh, eight uh, statutes as they characterize them. And those are things that we need to adhere to. Now, that's, you know, the good news is for, you know, for me out in the sticks, uh, you know, this you know, thing's got a lot easier. For uh, Josh, who lives in, uh, in the Phoenix area, things got uh, ugly because he's very close to controlled airspace. If you want to fly in controlled airspace, uh, right now we're grounded. And so we're grounded until the uh, Lance uh, low altitude uh, uh, unmanned traffic management system is put in place, which theoretically should come out in the su summer of this year. So, so I was actually curious about that as well as that's what gives what you is like Lance that. really. I I received a brief description of it, but it to me it sounded like this thing where you kind of you have an app and you sign in and say I'm going to fly here, and then it goes to the tower and they have a little display in front of them saying you know, your coordinates and how long you're flying, and that's it. But I I didn't that's, understand it very well. It's a pretty, I think you got a pretty good handle on it. And so uh, Lance a, uh, is, you know, so it's a um, unmanned traffic management system, and it is in place across the United States for 107 uh, pilots. It is not yet in place for hobbyists. Now, that hurts my head a little bit because it's like, no, wait a second. How, well, you know, how could it be? different treatment? Exactly. The system's and why... there, but they're just excluding hobbyists from it completely, and then you have people that are grounded right. out enough to drive miles to go fly. Right. So, yes. So, you know, we've asked that question, don't have a good answer for that. But that that's the other thing that we have certainly learned is that the, you know, the FAA, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They are uh, well-intentioned individuals. And unfortunately, they're providing information that is frequently contradictory. So we're trying, when we see a contradiction you know, from them, we try to bring it up and, and try to get a resolution. One of the examples is they have a webinar uh, for their uh, LEAP uh, program, Law Enforcement Assistance Program. And it was a little out of kilter with what they had written. So we're, you know, we're trying to uh, you know, work uh, to get that uh, cleared up. So you know, it's, you know, we're not trying to vilify or, or damn the uh, the FAA. This is, uh, I am encouraged uh, that they are working hard to figure out how do we, how do they accelerate some of this stuff? This is back to uh, the, the subject on the, uh, on the remote ID. Before I get there, uh, Take Dead Aim had asked me to make sure I mention, and I think I did, but I'll, I'll reiterate it, that of the 32 seats on the Drone Advisory Committee, uh, there is one that represents uh, recreational operators, and that's Rich Hansen, president of the AMA. 
And so, and oh, by the way, uh, interesting, there were uh, the 32 uh, folks in the, on the Drone Advisory Council in the room. There were another 90 spectators like me from uh, industry, uh, other uh, agents, federal agencies, uh, education, et cetera. And so there, uh, there also, uh, there was recently uh, a set of openings, open seats on the DAC we as a as FPVFC applied for it. We were we came to learn that we were one of 226 applicants, and 12 were uh, placed on. We were not, and so you know that's uh, that's the way it goes at this point, and that's why we're trying to increase our numbers and uh, you know take a a bigger role as we go forward. Was the AMA one of the new members, or were they already there? They were already there. Okay, thanks. So from from the looks of it, the AMA kind of has this spot staked out within the FAA's umbrella of authority where, you know, the AMA can decide, you know, a fair bit of stuff. Is there ever an opportunity where another organization such as the FPVFC could come into that, or is it a lockdown spot at this point? I don't think you know, so. Again, this is my humble opinion. Um, I don't think it's a lockdown. And uh, I, I point to uh, some of the ways that the AMA has worked. And so the process, as I mentioned earlier, is that the Congress creates the authorization, so that's funding plus mandates. They turn that over to the FAA, and then we are supposed to work with the agency, the rulemaking agency. The AMA has chosen to do a bit of an end run and has lobbied Congress to put to pressure the FAA. And so uh, the prior mo aircraft model waiver, Section 336, uh, um, was the result of that lobbying Congress. So that was 2016. That could be viewed as a huge win for hobbyists with the AMA. As you may know, Section 336 was repealed in October of 2018. So it's yeah. now been replaced with Section 349. So. I point to an organization, the Experimental Aircraft Association. They have taken a very collaborative approach with the FAA. And one of the things that we hear about all the time is folks say, well, you know, darn it, you know, why should we have to, you know, register and do all these regulations with drones when I, you know, I look outside and there's a guy with an ultralight and, you know, he doesn't have to do, you know, almost anything to, to get in the air. That well, ultralight, that ultralight that. has gained uh, a, a waivers and agreements of, from the FAA through the Experimental Aircraft Association. So if you've ever heard of Oshkosh, the big EAA event, that's you know tight collaboration between the FAA and the EAA. So and the thing with ultralights is that <clears throat> instead of this little 700 gram ball of carbon fiber electronics, it's a 200-some pound guy with another 80 pounds of equipment strapped on with a giant wing that has a paramotor or whatever. And Yes. How is that different? There's nothing involved in that, really. You can build one and go fly it, and you don't... There's no, you know, registered license to do it. Granted, it's good to get trained for it, but there's no license to do it or anything. That's my point. And so to the question uh, that started my uh, little diatribe there was, is there a lockdown from the AMA? I, I would suggest no, which is another reason why we think FPVFC is viable, because if we approach the FAA with knowledge, respect, 
and uh, keep volunteering to help write rules, write regulations, provide feedback, do testing. You know, that's collaborative, and that's what we want to do to try to shape the regulations going forward. Now, to, as Dan said, that does not mean that we're, you know, that we're a rubber stamp and we think all FAA regulations are awesome. Okay. Well, and that's, that's the biggest part is no matter where you go, the skies are moving to commercial use in terms of UAVs, and now it's up to the hobbyists to work around it and hopefully get regulations that work out for everyone. Yeah, and our numbers you know, are beneficial. So the FAA recognizes 1.3 million recreational drones in the United States as of the end of 2018 and 280,000 commercial. So we're, we're, we do have numbers at this point. And so the funny I'm trying part to... about that is that... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm, just, I'm, try, I'm catching up on some things. But like you said, the, the committee, you know, more or less were, were very sparsely represented there. The number of seats on that committee is that that's a set in stone thing, right? I don't know if it's set in stone. I mean, it's if you just search on, uh, uh, I, you know, we can post it, but it's um, uh, FAA. If you just search on FAA space DAC, you'll you'll see the FAA or the DAC members, and so it's getting uh, it's getting pretty large. Uh, They're so, listed at the top of the right. document I posted in the the general chat. Ah, excellent. Thank, thank right. you, Dan. I, see you, uh, I saw you posted that. I'll check that out. I guess and what I was getting to is that, you know, if, if it's not, I mean, if it's not set in stone or even if it is set in stone, some way that we could add that we need to advocate to have more right there in that one spot. Yes. Yes. So, or, you know, so if it's, you know, if they have another invitation, we will apply again. And yeah, and uh, I caught that you said that you tried, though, too. I did catch sure. that. And you know, but but you know, to me, you know, what I uh, you know, just just like working in a big multinational bureaucracy, you know, you don't give up. You just keep you know keep hitting it. And so we are also working to um, uh, volunteer for the first two. They're called taskings. Uh, never heard of that one before. But it's a uh, it's a task force or a project uh, that is supposed to time out in about 90 days, where when the next DAC meeting is. One is on um, remote ID, and the other one is on security. So we are uh, trying to reach the uh, the leads for those uh, task groups and volunteer our uh, our services. Oh, it's in Arlington, Virginia. That's where they do this at. It's it's not the same place all the time. So the uh, okay. this this one was in Arlington. I was say that's not far. From yeah, yeah. It only took me uh, uh, six hours to drive there. So <laughs> and a couple hour uh, metro ride. Um, but it was uh, uh, and and I should mention that and so that um, the expenses for me to get down there came out of my pocket. So this is, you know, FPVFC trying to help the FPV community. So this, this is, you know, we're, uh, I'm, uh, I wasn't paid for it. I wasn't uh, making money on the venture. It's not, you know, I wasn't being funded by uh, a company or anyone. This was uh, in my role as the president of a FPVFC, a nonprofit. Right. Okay. So uh, what else did you learn at that meeting, Dave? Thank you, thank you, Dan. Uh, so let's see. <laughs> On remote ID, I think we've uh, hit this one pretty. So, uh, th what's important here on the remote ID is there is a group, as I mentioned, being formed. We're working to 
uh, see if we can participate from that. The uh, and, and this is described in, in the uh, documents that, uh, that Dan had the link to in detail, if you're interested. But some, the essence of it is they're looking for the community to prototype uh, technology in RID that could be tested and rolled out more quickly than the, uh, uh, the rules that they anticipate for remote ID, which could be as long as 24 months away. So they're trying to pull that schedule in and they want to do it in a collaborative manner. So that to me, that's, that's you know, may, we may not be in love with remote ID, but their approach is, uh, is pretty good. Okay, other things about the, let me do a copy and paste here. Um, quick question in between. So, um, what what is the future of i guess enforcement for aerial vehicles there's because there's a lot of this i guess impression of well you know who's gonna stop you and yada 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 Great law enforcement question. agencies are getting more familiar with it but is there ever going to be you know a park ranger edition of the faa patrol where you have a guy going around and he has a little, you know, band scanner or whatever, and he can pick up on video frequencies and stuff. Or is we already, we already have like that. that. We already have that. The uh, uh, the FAA is encouraging, actively encouraging, local law enforcement to assume that role. So expect that at any point, whenever a law enforcement agency desires the uh, and has the interest in becoming more involved in drone uh, regulation that they will assume that role. Right. It's a great question. I completely uh, agree with that comment. I think that was take take that aim. The, uh, so there is a national education program that the FAA is putting out, as I mentioned, called LEAP Law Enforcement Assistance Program. The other thing that changed in the 2018 FAA Reauthorization Act was prior to that, only the FAA or an FAA designee could challenge any of us for our registration card. Walk up to us and say, please prove to me that you have registered that drone. After the um, 20, October 2018 uh, FAA Reauthorization Act, uh, any law enforcement or the FAA or an FAA designee can come up and challenge you. So to one of the, the woman, Angela Stubblefield, who is prevent, presenting the security and safety and counter UAS uh, presentation at the DAC, uh, described how there, there was uh, a, a massive enforcement effort around the past Super Bowl. Uh, FBI was involved. Uh, and to me, one of the um, the points that one of the people who was arrested said, well, you know, I'm really blown away that you're here because, you know, you never enforce TFRs anyway. And so, so a little background on this. What what went down on that sports thing? What what actually happened with it? Apparently, there were several dozen incidents, several dozen arrests. They stationed the. Uh, the FBI, along with uh, people monitoring uh, the various frequencies, they put up a 
uh, a perimeter, an electronic perimeter that would uh, not allow uh, drones to fly uh, into or above the stadium. Uh, and they uh, identified uh, a number of drones, uh, had the people land them, and then uh, arrested the, the operators. So that's another question is, how are how are enforcement agencies going to you know keep up with the rapidly changing i guess technologies involved in it like you have crossfire out that very few people have a 900 megahertz jammer that can bring down a 900 megahertz controlled right. aircraft right people are and, always going to evolve their systems to get around it how are they going to combat that Right. So there's a, and there, you know, it's a whole, you know, in fact, there's a, a series of good uh, videos from uh, the AUSV um, um, symposium that was uh, our first couple of days of June in Baltimore, where they talk about counter UAS. There was also in, I think it was late May, um, a, uh, a document from the FAA that said, you know, folks, you know, in case you missed it, it's illegal for any civilian to do jamming or to uh, uh, to do counter UAS in general. So your point is is right on uh, right on the money. The uh, the FAA you know, does not want people doing counter UAS. And the uh, the feeling is, is that they would like people to, you know, they're, you know, to adhere to the rules and they c clearly understand that you know there there need to be a multitude of technologies if they're going to try to protect any single facility so you know think think back again all th all devices are going toward uh, autonomy you know all right this is their view of the world so if you don't have an rf signal then jamming an rf signal is not very helpful and jamming you gps really mechanically disabled but, but, really could i can I jump in here for just a second with a couple of questions? Of course. Okay, so if if there were these incidents at at uh, 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 alleged incidents at the uh, Super Bowl, was it correct? I think it was leading up to the Super Bowl or days before the Super Bowl or something, if I remember right. Uh huh. Um. I'm wondering why then, why that information wasn't uh, disclosed to me as part of a Freedom of Information Act request that I placed with the FAA for exactly that information. Because they, I, I they, 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 there I were also, is... there were also uh, two manned aircraft that were diverted from that area uh, who uh, claimed to be unaware of the uh, the TAF for not flying uh, not flying in that area uh, and they were escorted by uh, they were escorted by um, um, by fighter jets uh, away from the area and ultimately interviewed on the ground yeah, news so, report isn't anything. If if is, no, 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 I was I was gonna ask is that is this what you're referring to? Well, I don't. That's I I submitted a request for five years worth of incidents from the FAA, five years worth of all drone accidents or incidents 
in the past five years, and I got 14 responses from them. 14 in five years, none of which involved a Super Bowl. So I've actually got an idea behind that, and also a question that goes along with it. Is uh, Do they have the statistics on how many of these people that were obviously breaking the law of flying over the Super Bowl or whatever? Um, how many of them were, for instance, registered or had, you know, the various systems and were following those systems? Because it, when it comes down to it is the people that follow the law are going to follow it, but people that don't follow the law aren't going to follow it. So how are, I, what are the, what's the information on that? I, I completely agree with that. But my, my point is, I don't know that these incidents, why are they? If this is the case and they have this information, right? They 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 have a database that uh, that they put out there. They make blanket statements, and I read the inflammatory statement this woman that uh, that did the presentation at the DAC made uh, as as the opening remarks of her statement. I read it. Um, if, if all this is true, why aren't they making that information public? Um, especially when a specific request is made for it. And furthermore, if, if that's the case, if they're holding back information and then using that to formulate rules that ultimately will affect us, the law-abiding part of that population, and I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of you can create all the rules you want, the law-abiding are who are going to follow them, um, if that's the case, then why are we doing this? We're going to be buddies with the FAA as our attitude. If they're holding that information back, uh, and, and what we're getting when, when you rightfully go through all of the steps, like the, like the FPV, FC has done, gone ahead and, and gotten the, um, the tax uh, position or tax uh, um, role, the, the nonprofit organization um, with the full intent of um, becoming a helping hand to the FAA and to the community. Yet um, what they're telling us is, yeah, we're going to make some more rules first and then we'll get back to you with um, what exactly we have for requirements for the organizations that want to uh, are signing up to help, uh, you know, with the intent of trying to help us. So that's their attitude. So if I'm, I'm wondering what my question is, if that's their attitude, why is it that we're standing back and taking a, hey, let's, let's, let's not be mean to the FAA. Let's not say anything bad about them. Um, I guess I, I so one of the guy one of the guys who worked one of the guys who worked for me in Austin, Texas, kept re reminding me over the years that uh, he worked for me. He said, "Dave, don't shoot the dealer." And so you know, in this situation, you know we don't have we're not in a position of authority. And so uh, I think a you know if you know folks want to uh, you know lobby uh, their uh, representatives and their senators, uh, uh you know with uh, you know the, you know they disagree with what the FAA is doing that's certainly uh viable 
uh, I think it's a, a prudent approach because I, I honestly do. Uh, I look at the EAA as a good example of the benefit that we can uh, reap from collaborating with the FAA uh, if we try to work with them. Now that collaboration does, you know, that means that we're going, you know, if we find, you know, inconsistencies and we do find inconsistencies, not just in incident reports, but as I mentioned, you know, leap guidance. So they're, they're creating confusion. And, you know, part of what we want to do is try to eliminate that confusion and do so that hopefully. It, from my interpretation of that, what you're basically saying is that, you know, while there are inconsistencies and problems that within their ways, within while if we can be in on the ground floor of their operations or whatever, it'll ultimately turn out better for us, right? That, that's well, my, well, my well, hope. We, yes. If we just tell them, if we just kind of have the attitude of FAA screw off, then they're going to give the same attitude to us, and we're not going to we're going to be less happy with the rules and regulations in the uh, end. That's not what if I'm suggesting I, I am not suggesting at all that we tell them to screw off. What I am suggesting is I'm just, that I'm paraphrasing. need a slightly firmer stance with them and say, look, you're standing with a position saying that the sky is falling with people violating drone laws uh, and this massive uh, um, unsafe situation has been created. Yet, your own records, when one of our members requested them, don't reflect that. So, what's the truth? I think well, what you're so saying is we need to be a little truth. louder at calling out those inconsistencies. And, and one of the one of the avenues that I want to use on this very point of, you know, wait a second. You know, the the confirmed incidents is a fraction, a tiny fraction of yeah, the number point, that 0.2%. Right. <laughs> of the of the number that you're saying of incidents. Now, the FAA knows that they must go out and do a big PR campaign and convince the community that drones are not the work of the devil. And what they're doing is they are creating a drone safety week in mid-November, and they have invited the AMA to participate in the recreational two days. It'll be seven days of drone safety, commercial through the week, and then recreational Saturday and Sunday. It's absolutely our uh, view to participate in whatever way we can on the recreational piece of this. And as we go forward with this, they're supposed to create a white paper and talk about drone safety. To me, it's a matter of that's a perfect learning moment to go back again to the FAA and say, you know, if you talked about confirmed sightings and you said, you know, folks, there are only 14 over the last five years, how compelling that would be as opposed to fear mongering with, hey, there are a thousand a month. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, a thousand a month. That's awful. Oh, they, but, but, but if they're supplying years. the information, Dave, they're the one that supplied me with the with the information of 14. They know exactly what they're doing when they're lying. I, I, yes. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, I'll hesitate so, from saying lying. I'll say, you know, that they're, you know, that they have spun the information at this point because. Oh, come on. It's, yeah, it's come all, on. 7,500 claims 
versus 15 real incidents? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's it? not that's not spinning Wait, the information. How many how many actual incidents did you just say? 15, 15. total because okay. they missed no, 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 one no, that no, I no, had. the other the other number. What was the Seven, other number? 7,500. 7, right. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I get where you're Those are plastic bags. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so there's one thing between spinning the truth uh, spinning the the facts to make your point. And I don't care how many years you've been in industry. I worked for the federal government. I fought for the freedom of this country. I don't walk right today to ensure the freedom of this country. Right. So, so don't so tell me that I have to that that I have to ignore someone not spinning, twisting into a knot, and then using it to try to hang me. So, Dean, uh, pl please don't put me in a in a position where anything I say would disrespect your service to the country. So, and, and I don't think you. Well, that's your choice that. to, to make a statement to do that. Okay. Um, well, so uh, coming from a military family, you certainly have uh, my respect and appreciation. Um, so the, I I understand that you know you know this is you know where. Uh, you said earlier that we, you know, you're not suggesting that we tell the FAA to screw off. Um, we should take a stronger approach. I think that's a, a point well taken, uh, one that we take seriously. Uh, you know that, you know, that I'm trying to figure out how do I work, you know, from within and uh, guide the regulations as opposed to combat uh, the FAA. The the other thing with that is that. While we very well could just march up to the FAA and say, well, you know, you provided et cetera, it's going to be far better for our best interest as hobbyists to, even if we were to make that confrontation, ease into it very gently, because then there'd be this kindness observed and this, you know, respectfulness observed by both parties so that there isn't a this all-out brawl about well, you were lying and you were wrong and pointing fingers right. at each other. And, that, and that's and that's why, to me, it you know, as we work toward the um, the uh, safety week in mid-November, and as we work toward the knowledge exam, you know, that we want to bring out the you know the level of safety and you know, let's put out the number confirmed uh, incidents. Because it's a very, very low number, and that's awesome. And we want to maintain that level of low number of confirmed incidents. And, and but when I when I brought though, you that number, Dave, you were you were unwilling to to put it out there. I had to put it out there myself. Correct. With respect, Dean, I I wanted you know this was this was your research. You had done weeks of work on this, and you know, I, I didn't. I honestly didn't feel it was appropriate for me to um, uh, to make public that information until you okayed it. it okay, it, it, I supplied it to you, and and you in, had the in, ability to um, to do that. And and what you right. wanted to do was to was to to soften the blow with it. And and if if you if you watch the video that I made. Uh, concerning it, you know, I, I didn't come at the FAA in an attacking way, and I 
and I don't intend to. And I apologize if I came off that way tonight. I'm just really, really, really frustrated. And I'm really concerned that what I'm going to lose is my ability to go fly. Understood. And I, so, and I did put weeks and weeks of, of yes. work and research into this. And, and I know exactly, exactly what I came up with. And there is no reason for them to hold back that information other than for their own, for their own good. And, and if someone is dealing with me that way, and I don't care whether it's in a business, a personal, uh, or a legal way, uh, a legal, uh, encounter, um, I, I just, I'm sorry, but I don't tolerate that kind of behavior. That's dishonesty. It's not that that's not even I can tolerate someone manipulating the facts to their own benefit. Um, you know, my grandfather used to say, figures always lie and liars always figure. Uh, and I'll remember those words until I die. Um, but there is also a line that you have to draw where, OK, this is acceptable. And then what isn't? Yes. And to me, that that discrepancy is crossed that line by a, a long way. Understood. And uh, we I sincerely appreciate all the work that you put into this. I would like to continue to work with you on this and other subjects. The contribution that you've made is huge and I really appreciate it. Um, if I may. Yeah. Um, on to let's see. The did I copy in? Yes, the knowledge exam. So Hold if on, you sorry, I have a quick question because certainly. So I, I'm. You may have already gone over this, and I just didn't hear you. But remote ID. Um, just clarifying. That's theoretically a thing, basically like a GPS unit to let people know where you are. Why? More like a transponder, but yeah, same yeah. kind of to, idea. To interact with towers and other manned aircraft so they know where, what, why you're doing what you're doing and stuff. Where you are, what, where you are in your altitude direction, that sort of Yeah, thing. just clarifying. Thank you. Where, and so, so there, there are some important distinctions there. Where you are and what you are, but not necessarily an interaction. And so, for example, one of the leaders in pushing technology and solutions is DJI. And DJI, as you might know, is now going to put ADS-B into every one of their drones above 250 grams. That's important from the perspective of it espouses their philosophy of remote ID. That means that they can sense their devices, their aircraft can sense um, other aircraft, uh, manned aircraft. Correct. It is not a, a transmitter and of uh, uh, of signal. So by uh, putting by installing ADS-B, it's a receiver on on our aircraft, and it's light and it's cheap. And so, you know, so really good question. And there are technology implementations that will define what remote ID looks like for us. So just clarifying that the the difference of ADSB is that ADSB is an interaction or is it only receiving? My understanding is receive. It's the 
Uh, okay, it's, so it's only receiving the other data. It's not transmitting its own data out, right? That's correct. What, 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 it, what, what DJI is talking only about the receive part of that. That's yeah, correct. So, so you still need an external GPS module and transponder to send that data out and to technically be legal once this uh, well, deregulation not, not, rolls out. Not necessarily. It might be sufficient. You know, the, you know so this is you know the technology uh, solution is you know is not firm. It, you know, it's you know, so. How is it that it's the information is communicated is not you know settled, mm -hmm. and there are a number of paper. There was a an RFI that was uh, submitted or that was due in February of this year, where there was a lot of discussion on a variety of technology solutions for remote ID. If anyone's you know, interested in uh, digging into that, or if they'd want uh, one of us to uh, exhume that and share some of that, so a number of different things going on in this area. Thank you for the clarification. I've got to go now. Thanks for the conversation. Now. Okay, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Okay, uh, if you scroll up to the knowledge exam, this is um, significant in that. As hobbyists, we're going to have to take a test to continue to uh, be able to fly our drones. I was. Uh, th this is worth taking a glance at the uh, at the material that details this information, because it appears that they want to make this very simple. They want to make it. Um, they talk about any age, then they talk about uh, a 13-year-old uh, taking the, the test and signing for themselves, under 13 having a parent sign. So the uh, you know they want it to be fun, friendly. You know we'll see. You know but that's the uh, so they're going to put out an RFI theoretically by the end of this uh, end of this month, I believe, and it will be on the contractor uh, site. Now, a lot of the words and music in the uh, in the documentation for the meeting is really uh, meta information. So it's uh, they want to know they want to let a an RFI out to organizations, private or public, who can administer the test. And the what they are asking about is how would you do it? You know, what would the cost be to put this out? Uh, and so the, they're asking about the mechanics. And so I was able to um, ask uh, Jay Merkel, the executive director of the uh, UAS integration office, when are you going to solicit input for the content of the uh, knowledge exam? I got it that you're going to put out this RFI to uh, organizations to administer the mechanics. Uh, and his uh, answer was, well, we're going to. Uh, that'll be part of the RFI. So my eyes glazed over a bit at that because it just seemed incongruous. But uh, we'll we'll keep watching and uh, trying to work this one. So not an ideal situation, but uh, 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 to me at least the knowledge exam you know, they're headed in in a good direction where it does not look like it's uh, going to be close to the 107 at all. And they will be um, uh, working to to make sure that uh, literally kids uh, can answer it and uh, and provide a response. So the, the knowledge exam seems, at least to me, it seems pretty cool and seems like a good idea. But 
the what's the you know cutoff or whatever going to be because in theory once that comes into effect someone that just got an inductrix for their birthday is and wants to fly it is then breaking the rules technically you know what however it's worded and however it's eventually finalized but is there going to be this you know 250 gram and under limit or how are they going to define that just keep it indoors then faa doesn't apply <laughs> well I, 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 there i think there's some uh, you know there's some options the way it, because it hasn't been written yet you know if it's yeah, no and that's that's where the uncertainty is for yeah but and i think if i mean i think there's some real option to make um to solve both these problems um a if there's a um you know uh training under the supervision of somebody who does have uh a license you know is is that a is that a possibility? Is there a an altitude restriction that would allow you to take your new inductrix or tiny whoop out in the backyard and fly below the trees, you know, and learn how to do all the fun stuff that we all had to do, um, you know, without having possession of the license, say, while you're... Well, and that's the thing with small, small quads is... It's just pure fun. It's nothing but, and yeah, there's no, exactly. there's no big components, and there's no blender sounds. It's just cruising around with this little tiny twenty. Yeah, I, I'd agree like, with you, especially Dean. If, if when the rules for the test come out, they could say, "Oh, this doesn't apply to drones that are under two fifty grams," or "This doesn't apply if you're flying in your backyard under the trees," or something. That would be great. Size limit, weight limit, prop guards. You know what I mean? To include that class of, you know, the tiny things that you couldn't, you know, it would be really hard. I you can't say impossible, but, you know, it would be really hard to hurt somebody with, you know? I, I mean, if there was just a guys, quad, uh, don't be an idiot with it, but that'd be, that'd be cool, you know? But guys, unless I'm mistaken, the, the rules are already written. All they're talking about now is what's going to be in the test and who's going to administer it. Well, so um, is, there, is there a source for that? Or I just like to read up on them and see, you know, how the regulations are going to form out for it. Because if everyone that wants to fly, even an inductrix has to take yeah, a test. John D is correct. That's the way the regulations are currently stated. Doesn't mean they can't change them tomorrow, though. Agree completely. Yeah, no. I, 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 I guess the, the way I understood it is it's not been the specifics of it haven't been decided, which means. You know, they haven't decided, is there a low age limit to go test, you know, all of that. So if they haven't written that stuff yet, um, you know, maybe there's room to get that. Uh, maybe there's room to get some it's rules a, modified. And, and know, I completely agree with that. It's entirely possible. Educating but... people on it, just, you know, if there's a way to make it more accessible to people that don't want to get involved in the bigger quads, then that'd be that'd be nice. Guys, you know, it's anything's possible, right? But right now, the FAA all but came out and said there are eight rules that you're, we're going to have to follow to fly, and they published the rules two weeks ago. Right. And there's a number of bits and pieces in there about how you administer the test, and you know, the legalities of testing people under 13, and the illegalities of a 13 to 16 year old gap. But, um, you know, right now, I think we're we'd be fooling ourselves to think that there's going to be some change that says, yes, if you have an inductrix in your backyard, you're going to be exempt from anything that they've written so far. 
Agreed. No, no at, arguments. At this point, I would, I, I would agree. I just, I, and I, hopefully I the community at large can make the wrong direction to, to, um, to not, uh, have a position that says we'd like that to be different. Yeah, I think the FPVFC should make a statement, but also the community at large should, if this comes out, like make yeah. a lot of noise saying, hey, this makes no sense. Why, if something that that small, would you need to do this? Well, why something that weighs less than a bug in your backyard needs to be regulated so strictly? Right. Yeah. And that, and... That, that's why the two, the, when the, the DAC uh, said, well, you know, we can, anyone can forward requirements to the DAC at any time. And so we did. And one of them was with like a, a waiver for under 250 grams uh, of all of these regulations. And two, right. separate from that, we would like a shielded operations uh, regulation uh, for all um, recreational drones, uh, plus a 100 foot uh, hemisphere uh, above shielded operations. And so both of these are have precedent around the world uh, in uh, in Canada, Europe, Asia, uh, and uh, we're uh, you know those you know absolutely we we feel that that's a good position to take and those you know and yet um, I completely agree with what John D was saying that you know the the eight statutes are there and that's what the exam will be written to. And they, I have no problem at all with people you know, getting educated on things and knowing more. It's just, it's a lot of hassle for someone that's just getting into it. And, it, and yeah, it's, it it's just one really more example of how the people making these regulations are not thinking of us. They're thinking of the typical DJI commercial drone. Or because someone that wants to go out and take pictures of their dog with a quad, you know. It, well, it, but if you look at, you know, if again, if you, you know, I, I'll come back to it again. If you look at the makeup of the committee, um, you know, a people like us, we don't, we we don't have any say. We don't, we don't have any representation here. And the people who are there, that's who's there. The, well, the business we're under, we're of, under of big autonomous flying time. machines. Uh, and data recording and a whole bunch of other people with, you know, with other interests, uh, those are the ones that are on that committee. So what would you expect out of that committee other than things in that, in that direction? I mean, well, I'm sorry. It was a few weeks ago or months ago, actually, that I heard it, but I, it was a really good analogy of how with the introduction of more and more commercial, uh, commercial vehicles it's going to be this you know highway and back road or environment with uavs where you're going to have these highly regulated areas that are the highways and then you're going to have gravel back roads where people can fly their little quads well we're i'm hoping that we continue that latter piece uh, um okay Let, I, another uh and another slide here, and I'm very aware of the uh, the time. Uh, this this one is a is a second um, tasking. Uh, this is tasking number two in the uh, in the PDF document of the um, DAC um, meeting um, ebook, and this one is a little arcane. 
if, uh, if, as if the others were straightforward. But the, one of the ways to think about this is, is they're asking the DAC, can you make uh, a drone a little less scary? And so what they're trying to get at is there's a perception that you know, all, all drones in the country must be uh, taking videos of um, uh, daughters at swimming pools. And so, and that's, you know, that's unacceptable and it's, you know, threatening behavior. And so, you know, it's from uh, uh, inappropriate surveillance to weaponization. And so how is it that can we, from a security technology manufacturer operator perspective, make a, a drone less threatening or less having less likelihood of threatening behavior? A lot of that may be just how, and I know that it's kind of inevitable, how, you know, certain, this one event can put a bad face on everything, and it's inevitable that it's going to happen, but if we can minimize that as much as possible, that it can be reworded into a way that scares people more, then that, that'd be beneficial overall. Uh, I'm just thinking from... A technology point of view here, but like a way to possibly mitigate that would be to have a rule regulate um, like necessary of LEDs or bright colors on it so they're more noticeable. I mean, it's not very relevant, but I was just thinking of that when you said it. Mm -hmm. No, it's a good point. And this is another one where they're uh, keenly interested in um, tamper proof and uh, eliminating uh, spoofing. And so they they are uh, thinking about how do we improve the the overall security uh, posture as we uh, proliferate uh, commercial drones. So say, Dave, this seems like something we should post up on our Facebook page to get more feedback in written form from people. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to take a crack at uh, uh, rereading and read and reread the uh, what was written because uh, even during the uh, the meeting, uh, the author. Uh, Angela Stubblefield um, rewrote the uh, uh, the tasking because it was misunderstood by the room. So I think you're on a good point. Uh, let's try to uh, craft what uh, our interpretation is, and we'll get this up and ask for additional uh, feedback. Um, I did want to uh, bring up uh, just a couple additional points, and they are that uh, I did mention that there is a uh, a drone safety week in mid-November. And I mentioned that there are two recreational days. It's on the weekend. Uh, the dates have not been locked down, um, but they are sensitive to don't do this during Thanksgiving week. Um, is, that, addition, is that posted by the FAA? It will be posted by the FAA. They promised okay. uh, white papers, documentation, and uh, as from the uh, the podium, uh, Jay Merkel asked the FAA to participate in this. The, I'm sorry, the AMA to participate in this. Uh, Rich Hansen um, uh, did not commit the AMA. Um, so I I've, got, I've got to do a little more reading on it. Is it an awareness type thing, or is it a, you know, there are going to be certain rules in effect that you are going to take place during that week? 
it is an awareness event and what they're hoping is that this is a public uh, uh, slash private uh, collaboration so that um, they can encourage uh, clubs, organizations, um, uh, agencies, uh, educational institutions, anyone they can, um, they can convince to participate to uh, help in a, a, an information campaign about drone safety. Uh, and okay. uh, two of the members sitting in and members of the um, uh, the DAC are DJI, and they, quote, said, anything we can do to help, we'll do. And the same uh, phrase was said by the uh, Wing um, uh, executive who was sitting there. Wing, of course, uh, one of the is a Google company um, uh, that's big into uh, drones. Be careful, they get pissed off and they're probably listening. <laughs> I'm saying, so, just trying to confirm when is the um commercial like idea of it, or how is that factoring? I, I haven't heard about them yet, so that's a it's a commercial end of the business, okay? So they've got the commercial use in mind of it, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, absolutely. Wing? You can make the connection between. Google and commercial fairly easily. Yeah, no, I I just wanted to confirm that there wasn't something surprising. Yeah, so Wing Wing is an Alphabet initiative that was one of the moonshots that was funded, and they're purely hundred percent, absolutely commercial. Absolutely, and they are with, one of with commercial they are one, they are one of the organizations that input uh, into the RID RFI. I guess I only speak in three-letter abbreviations. Yeah. Uh, back. Uh, late last year, so they're keen on providing the infrastructure for uh, uh, the uh, unmanned traffic management system. Okay, additional topics. Um, uh, it was described that uh, Lance for recreational pilots is on track for September 2019. Um, I also asked uh, Jay Merkel uh, personally, is the FAA considering anything under 250 grams? And uh, he said, no, there, uh, there's no consideration going on. Now, that said, there is um, uh, in one of the NRPMs uh, that was uh, issued late last year, there is a description of category one, category two, category three. These are all categories for uh, flight over people, flight at night, for 107 uh, certificate holders. So, so the, you know, there is some additional confusion there, but for recreational, there is no consideration for an under 250 gram exclusion. So uh, um, at this point, what is, it seems like they're tightening more hobby rules and, you know, releasing a lot of 107 rules almost. What is... I guess the limiting factor in a lot of people just getting a 107, and I've seen it happen a lot where people would get a 107 and just fly hobby use under a 107 so that they don't have to follow those hobby rules. Is that yeah, if, you, if you if you sit down and you look at where 107 is and where we are, we're still, the restrictions are actually more lined up than they've ever been. Used to, hobbyists got away with a whole bunch of stuff that 107 didn't. Right now, other than Lanik, we're pretty much aligned. There's not a whole lot that you can do with a 107 today other than ask for waivers and get Lanik approval 
that as a hobbyist you can't go out and still do. Right, and and that would assume that assumes you know roll the clock forward to when uh, Lance is available for recreational pilots, and so. You know, for the interim, until that's the case, if you live in an area with a lot of controlled airspace, you might say, you know, it'd be easier for me to just get my 107, then I can use my Lance with 107 and fly as a hobbyist. And, yeah, I and, think I would be real careful there, David, because the minute you do that, I think you fall outside of the hobbyist rules. I think you, by, by using Lanik as a 107 to make a request, your flight falls under 107. Now that may not be in any way, shape, or form a bad thing, but <clears throat> I understand yeah. what you're saying. I understand completely. What yep. the what the FAA has has said, and it was uh, there was another unrelated webinar today that concerned uh, more um, uh, like government uh, uh, agencies, like a, a fire department or whatever, wanting to start a uh, a drone program, but their the statement holds true, and they the the, the guy who was who, the FAA rep who who made the statement specified this, and, and he said uh, once a flight is started, however it started is how it has to finish. Mm -hmm. So you, you know it. it uh, clearly, you can't you can't uh, change mid-flight. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can't take off this? as a 107 and then become <laughs> a hobbyist or vice versa. You know? yep. So, what's interesting with the whole um, you know fire departments getting access to UAVs is if you've if you've you know had interactions with them or whatever, you'll see that a lot of them don't know you know a lot of the actual technical stuff about it. It's just they have a controller and they can zip around and do stuff with it. Well, it's they they have no pilot requirement uh, uh, for it, it, that was that was a point that was brought up today was, um, uh, you know, there's they're, they're not required to have a 107 certificate and they're they're mm -hmm. they're not classified as hobbyists. They have their own little classification so there really isn't anything for them well and what's even weirder is that what happens when you know a prop flies off of the inspire 2 mid-flight and this you know, 10 pound brick comes barreling to the ground from 200 feet in the air and that's yeah, but I, been I, on the I, I federal I, agency yeah from a from a liability standpoint i wouldn't want to be sitting on their policy at that moment right yeah exactly and it's also the pilot individually but the larger whatever organization it was is uh, now at fault and they've got this giant storm that's about to come down on them of well, whose responsibility is it and then they're going to have to make new regulations for it. And that was and that was their all bold uh, caps underlying slide was um, decide this before you decide you want to uh, yep. you know a program right. in your you know in your agency because um you know, there's a lot more than com than just having a you know another shiny piece of equipment to uh, take yeah, out and fly. And even and it is a cool you know community aspect of it when you see a firefighter flying an Inspire, but it, it's kind of scary when they don't know the technical stuff about it. What happens when they don't put a battery in all the way or forget to put the prop on latch it and it flies off? Well, yeah. To yeah, I mean, to there's, me, to, there's they, all those possibilities. They, you know, the, the, 
the the silver lining here is, okay, so we should approach, uh, you know, if a municipality already has uh, a couple of drones, like my little, the town I live in, I should approach the uh, uh, the police force and offer uh, them to uh, get a little better trained and learn a little bit about it. And if nothing else, I've created a relationship, which uh, maybe if someone calls the police and says there's this uh, fellow flying a drone, they say, oh yeah, we know who that is. You know, so it may They know change. that it's responsible. Yeah, it, could, it couldn't hurt. I, uh, I posed that exact question, Dave, uh, and that went on the list of ones they didn't have time to, uh, uh, to answer. Uh, surprise, surprise. I, I, oh, I forgot what golly. my tally is, but somewhere in my notebook of, <laughs> of having attended the majority of these things, I know that it's up in the excess of 20 unanswered questions. Yeah, your batting average point. is not so good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I'm probably not one of their, it's probably, oh my God, it's that guy again. Uh, but, uh, you know, someday somebody is going to get tasked with the job of, will you just sit down and answer this guy's question? Yep. Um, I may not be alive anymore, but, um, you know, um, I will, uh, I will forever maintain that particular email address and, you know, have someone take over and. Yeah, you got to make it a, a, a time cap. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So that FAAs of the future in 400 years can finally answer them. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope it's not quite that far because I don't know that I have anybody who's going to live that long uh, that I know of yet. But, um, yeah. uh, but I'll pass well, I, it on to somebody. Yeah, that, that's why we definitely have to be persistent. I, I'm getting the same, the same, you know, same response, and it's oh, uh, I'm sure. we're just going to just keep – Keep at it, and that—that's uh—and hopefully grow our numbers and uh, and be persistent. Okay, well we've been going at this uh, for about an hour and a half now. Um, uh, any any other questions? This has been, and I uh, thank you all for a uh, very active discussion. I really appreciate it, Dan. Thank you for bringing me back to uh, make try to make this uh, a little more sense on the presentation. I I sincerely appreciate that. No uh, problem. Any anything else? Any other questions from any of the topics that we've raised this evening? Nope. Okay. And nope. I would just uh, say thanks for the effort of making it to Virginia. Yes, you bet. It was uh, it was well worth it, and uh, it was a it was a real eye opener. And I could not have uh, uh, garnered the information I got by just reading a PDF. Uh, being there was all the difference. I'll bet. And the uh, the next one uh, is we're not sure where the next one's going to be. They have been doing a uh, left coast, right coast. So if if the uh, October-ish uh, DAC meeting is in uh, the California area, it would not surprise me at all. So we'll, we'll that one may be tough for me, but uh, we do have a couple of folks uh, closer uh, to the West Coast, uh, you know, Josh being in Phoenix. All right, anything else? All right. Thank you again for the discussion. And Dean, once again, thank you for all the uh, the work on the to get us some really good data on uh, on the uh, on the confirmed incidents and uh, and sightings. Got more coming. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Excellent. Thank you. Have a good evening, gents. All right.